Welcome to another Chinchilla Squeaks. It's been a couple of weeks break again. Um, Travelling all over the place. I'm actually going to get back to talking about where I've been very soon. Um, and I don't know. <laughs> I just I, I keep trying to record these on the road and then things happen and uh, life and it just doesn't happen. I need to remember this more. Uh, I'm just making excuses. <laughs> but anyway, I'm back and uh, I'm actually staying put for a little bit. So um should get a little bit regular again, although I feel like I said that before. Anyway, let's stop making excuses and get stuck in what has been keeping me busy. Well, um, post KubeCon in the first week just after KubeCon, actually went to Open Infra Summit here in Berlin. Um, okay, it, was a, it was a strange sort of event. Uh, a lot of uh, sponsor and vendor talks, i.e. so I didn't end up really finding anything... Uh, massively compelling I wanted to grab onto. Uh, there was, I always find it interesting the overlap between CNCF, the uh, Cloud Native Computing Foundation, and the Open Infra Summit, um, Open Infra Foundation, the summit is the event. Um, and where they overlap, I suppose CNCF kind of was born out of Kubernetes and Open Infra Foundation looks after a lot of other projects. And there's a lot of, there is a bit of overlap between some of those projects as well. I guess largely kind of Kubernetes alternatives, maybe. Um, some of the things that caught my eye very quickly were talking around, let's have a look, uh, hardware enablement for data center workloads. I think we're seeing this a lot with specialized data center requirements now, whether that be secure enclaves or graphics cards, that sort of thing. Um both of the foundations, but the Open Infra Summit really they really pulled this out looking at getting a broader range and they have gained a broader range of associate members in Africa and South America and also in Europe. Also a lot in Asia, I think. I think we tend to forget about some of the very large Chinese tech players, especially in the data center world when um, uh, when we're in the West. And uh, actually Opening for a Summit has quite a lot of those on their sponsor list. Um, so... That's kind of a growing thing that's been happening and possibly waned a little bit over the past couple of years for various reasons. But uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. They also mentioned their four opens, uh, working openly, I suppose. Uh, it's literally in their name. Um, so that, um, <laughs> I guess they have to have to be relatively open in the way they work. They talked about um, the pressure from larger companies. Sometimes... Um, or press a f- I suppose pressure from and for larger companies um, on keeping open, I suppose. We've seen this a lot, and they, they also mentioned this in the keynotes. Um, tying into that, and I think this was talked about at KubeCon as well, discussions around sovereignty, sovereignty of data and sovereignty of projects. And of course, when everything is largely maintained by one company, this becomes... Uh, less of a concern so that was something um that uh i don't know i I get the feeling lots of people have this problem but they don't necessarily know what the solution is right now um we'll see i did notice uh because this was a much largely a european event as opposed to kubecon which is a bit more global you kind of see that the european enterprises are not quite as slick and uh, dare i say it in your face as the american ones but i think the the, I don't know if this is really a company. I suppose it's an institution that comes up a lot 
at European-based events is CERN. And there was actually a really good talk by one of the infrastructure engineers there about how they keep their infrastructure going. And the uh, Hadron Collider just fired up again. So I guess they're really testing the infrastructure for data collection again at the moment. Um, so I guess my summary of the event would be KubeCon is about projects. Open Infra Summit is more about implementation details. All of sort of more operators and things like that there. That's sort of something that uh, would be my division. The foundation turned 10 this year. This is why they were looking at the, the kind of more global reach. Outside of Kubernetes, the Open Infra Foundation definitely focuses a lot more on OpenStack. And obviously there's a few major players behind that. So that comes up a lot. But um, I sort of wonder when people decide over one or the other. It's, it's, it's not something you hear talked about as much, but it's still definitely there and still popular, I suppose. Minority, oh no, not minority, but smaller players in a large demanding ecosystem still have a reasonable market. I mentioned earlier about the hardware-enabled data centers. This is something actually I've been reading about recently and done some writing on. Um, con con confidential computing is uh, this is what these these hardware enablement is often used for. This sort of changes the security paradigm of cloud computing and is increasingly supported by the open infrastructure projects, uh, possibly CNCF as well. I'm not sure. Um, this uses this specialized hardware to allow for encrypted data at rest, at use and in transit, meaning that companies that need very secure applications and payloads and access to data can trust public clouds. Uh, and this is why you need this specialized hardware. Feeding back to this OpenStack versus Kubernetes comment again, a, an acronym that came up a lot, which uh, I don't know, uh, Loki, Linux, OpenStack, and Kubernetes infrastructure. It's a little, uh, a little forced there. Um, so I suppose this is the, 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 the play is that you use OpenStack to run the cloud and then use Kubernetes as the platform for each instance on the cloud, something like that. I wonder if that's strictly necessary, but that's what a lot of people are now moving to. And there were a lot of conversations from some local players, uh, Deutsche Telekom, the um, German government ministry for economic affairs and climate action. There's a strange combined ministry there. Um, also Deutsche, yeah, Open Telekom Cloud, which is run largely by Deutsche Telekom, but then used by a lot of other users. I actually had a job interview with them some time ago, <laughs> sort of remember that they exist. And um, this data sovereignty issue comes up again when it comes to European operators quite a lot. So these, these they claim 100,000 users, which seems like a lot, but when compared to the American clouds, I suppose is not very many at all, but it's enough. It's certainly enough for a decent business, I suppose. So I suppose all in all, there was a lot covered. Um, I may try and summarize some of this in a blog post, but to be honest with you, I just never seem to get time for these blog posts. The podcasts are quicker to put it together because I could just talk through it. There was a lot there, but it was hard to navigate through all the vendor talks, I must admit. Um, now I sort of read back through these press releases and think, I don't know where these were mentioned because I, I struggled with the schedule to find a talk that I walked into and wasn't just someone pitching one solution to something, which is kind of what... It, it annoys me sometimes when you see that at events where it's... Um, 
here's a problem. And you think, oh, that sounds interesting. And then they say, well, the solution is this product we have. And that to me feels kind of like a vendor talk, really. I want something more generic uh, and more uh, less biased, I suppose. Anyway, I don't really <laughs> I don't want to get too negative there. Um, interestingly, on one of the afternoons, uh, I actually did a quick tour because it was just down the road of the Computer Spiel Museum, which is a fantastic museum I have been to before in Berlin of old uh, games consoles, basically. Computer Spiel is, is computer play, I suppose. Um, and I highly recommend you do visit. We had a great tour from the, the press person there, and um, they're actually about to embark on a big renovation to hopefully be open again towards the end of this year, beginning of next year. So I would recommend you possibly hold off any visits for a few months um, because it's kind of at bursting capacity, and they're rearranging. They don't have any more space, but they're rearranging things and reprioritizing a few things and updating a few things. We notice that there's a lot of references and to so some of the most recent references to things are from about sort of five or six years ago and they need to rearrange to fit in some new references but it's a fascinating place a little bit of a trip down memory lane for people of a certain age but also i think the 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 most interesting aspect is these consoles and devices from the uh from the old east um which are really weird to look at and they have them working and you can see these copies and clones of uh, western devices and i think that's always been fascinating to look at next up on my trip schedule was oscal oscal is a small very open source focused event in tirana albania i think this is my third visit i ran a workshop on open broadcast studio which went quite well and there was a lot of interesting talks there uh, from people like uh, LibreOffice, from the software freedom foundation um, from Wikimedia, from a whole bunch, or oh, a lot of people from um, Fedora and OpenSUSE as well. Um, and it's always nice to go to these sort of more grassroots open source um, events because you get a lot, a lot less, it's complete opposite of opening for a summit, a lot less vendor pitches and a lot more just people talking about things they're interested in. Although there were a few... Pitches of sorts, but I don't know. When you get someone from an open source project, it's less of a pitch and more of a explanation. I'm not really sure. Um, I always remember from this event in the past how many more people were into open source. And I guess their gateway into open source was because it was often because it was free. And then they kind of get drawn in to the wider world. And I also find it interesting to see that many of the people I met years ago when they were basically students involved in, for them, the early days of their open source lives have now moved on to having jobs within those projects or aligned to those projects. And I, I like to see that that's a possibility, I suppose. It was also interesting visiting the city again. It had changed quite a lot to Rana. It actually sort of started to gentrify quite a bit and prices had gone up a bit to the point where I did wonder with some of the places how they'd be affordable for locals. But still, I suppose places change. It's definitely had quite a lot of licks of paint and uh, sort of shiny things added, new uh, lights and, and all sorts of things like that. Um, and uh, a lot more sort of slightly higher end eateries and, and, and things like this too. Uh, but it was a great little event. Some people came, most people came from Europe, but a few came from further afield for this for this small event. Um, and it was it was good as always. Uh, I don't know, no massive highlights, just lots of kind of consistent 
good discussions on on the open landscape and I had a good time. I'd also recommend going to the House of Leaves Museum. It's actually won a lot of awards. It's about the it's about the uh, I can't remember the exact words, but the 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 spying agency, the equivalent of KGB and the Stasi and in other countries in Albania. Um, which actually then caused me to go up and read a lot on the dictator there, uh, who was in power for 40 years post-World War II, which really amazed me. And then this kind of rapid turnaround afterwards, uh, after all that. Uh, it, it was also funny because I, I struggled to sort of understand what his downfall was. Um, he kind of held on to, into power for so long. It was basically his death that ended it, um, which is... Amazing in many ways. I suppose it was a smaller country. I don't know. I don't want to start talking about this too much in case I uh, wander into um, territories where I'm not saying things that are accurate. But anyway, the museum is about his his kind of yeah police and and related network. How they kept the uh, control and the peace, shall we say, in quote marks. Really great little museum. Well worth a visit if you happen to be in town. Uh, with lots of cool retro devices as well, a bit like the Computer Spiel Museum that will send you a trip down memory lane as well, although they were used for more nefarious purposes than play, of course. Then I got back and I was invited to HashiConf in Amsterdam, but I, I couldn't really fit it in to the schedule, so I just attended online. The online program, there wasn't a great deal, actually. It was a bit sort of old. It was like two talks and a keynote and then that was it. So I ended up actually asking for the press releases to report back because I didn't really have much else to mention. So this is HashiCorp's conference fresh off their IPO. Uh, it's their this year's developer and product event, I guess, first in line for a couple of years. Um, so Ian Jennings and I have been doing on our DevX5 live stream. We did a whole roundup of HashiCorp tools, actually. There's going to be some updates on that live stream coming very soon. We're working on the next season. It's quite late, of course. <laughs> but still, here were the big things mentioned. I think a lot of it around consolidation of their many, many years of, of development. So they developed, uh, released a new developer site. It's in public beta. This consolidates a lot of the documentation and tutorials for tools. I actually always found that their content was pretty good, but you did end up bouncing around a lot. And I think this sets to uh, to sort of bring that experience into a better flow. It combines tutorials, reference, example code, videos, and interactive labs. My favorite. One of the main feature announcements in Terraform, which is probably the most popular of their tools, was drift detection. This is this happens when you have uh, infrastructure as code sort of defining your infrastructure, but then there's ways people can kind of make changes elsewhere and you get differences. You could do this with with diffs and things like that in, in, in version control, but this is a method that lets you do that in a more autonomous way, which is, I suppose, especially useful for because sometimes you, you have to know to look for drift detection, um, whereas this would detect it without you having to go and look at those diffs. And they also are partnering with a lot of other members of their ecosystem to get uh, checks on uh, policy and other sorts of security checks, including with sync, for example, for security and then others for compliance, code scanning and cost analysis. This is something that Terraform has been doing very well recently, and I will get on to more of that very, very soon, actually. Then there was uh, HashiCorp Boundary in free public beta. It's an open source project that's been around for about two, just under two years. 
which is an easy way to securely and remotely access critical systems. And it now offers a cloud service in public beta. So that's something maybe to have a look at if that is something that interests you, maybe feeds a little bit into that confidential computing uh, conversation. And finally, Console, another quite popular HashiCorp project. It's a networking um, tool for service discovery, basically, and uh, they have now made it generally available on Microsoft Azure, um, also in addition to AWS. So uh, sort of more easy rollout of it, I suppose. So that was everything from HashiConf. Then I went off to Monitorama in Portland, preeminent event for sort of observability, I suppose, this loose, loosely um, coupled combination of monitoring uh, infrastructure, logs, metrics, tracing. There's a lot of tools in this space. It was also my day job. So I was there with my day job and I gave a talk on. Uh, this feeds into the Terraform and I actually mentioned these tools as well. Using observability tools to increase the sustainability of your applications. And I wrote up a blog post version which you can actually find um, on chronosphere.io's blog. The talk was quite well received. Um, and I met a lot of people who were working in aspects of the space already and they shared a lot of resources with me. So I think this is something I'm going to dig into further. I actually found it was like one of those topics where I haven't really had a subject where I really wanted to jump in deep and, and explore it a lot for a while. And this was something I actually thought it, it could be something I, I could get involved with more. Um, I used a, an open source tool from ThoughtWorks called the Cloud Carbon Footprint Project. But a lot of the cloud vendors actually also have their own uh, tools for this and Google even ran their own event covering this so it's an area that is coming up a lot in conversations recently and links up very very neatly with the cost of cloud as well this is things like the FinOps Foundation looking at this this is all mentioned in the talk so you can go and have a read of the blog post for more details on this but it's something I think I will pursue so if any of you out there are also interested in this topic, then get in touch. You can, as always, find my contact details at chrischinchilla.com. And the rest of Monitorama was also a good event. I learned quite a lot about lots of new tools, lots of practices, lots of real-world application of use cases, and generally had a thoroughly good time in Portland. It's been a few years. Portland itself is a little quiet, a little sort of dead at the moment, but it was a fun time. Um, hadn't been to America for a few years and uh, it's always a strange place in a strange time but that is a conversation for another time okay that was me catching up with what I have been up to the past few weeks let's now whip through a few random links and then kind of what else I've been doing <laughs> first uh, this was an article from Charlie Warzel on the Atlantic um this has a little bit of time with a few other bits of content, but the open secret of Google search. I don't actually use Google search anymore. I do I do mostly use DuckDuckGo and then switch to Google sometimes when DuckDuckGo just doesn't return results. So I'm generally going for very niche topics. So I hadn't really noticed this so much, but it's been increased discussion on the internet recently around how Google doesn't seem to be as good as it used to be. Um, either not being as returning as relevant results or returning more advertising content or just 
I think there's also a, a lot of a case and I would definitely would be one of these because I recognize myself when I read this that people search in different ways. Older people tend to search uh, with keywords whereas newer people to the internet tend to search f- questions. And who I think Google and other search engines are maybe in a transition phase of coping with this or maybe it's just that us oldies um, – are not satisfied with the results we now get in the ways we always used to search. And there's even Google engineers talking about why this is the way. Um, and of course, Google denies it and et cetera, et cetera. But it's a really interesting article and there's a couple of links to sort of uh, related content that goes into deeper into certain subjects. And uh, yeah, I, I, I don't really use Google um, as a search engine anymore. But... Um, I think we all recognize that the internet is getting flooded with sort of search engine optimized content and rather ruining a lot of our access to it. And this is possibly why we've ended up with a lot of these walled garden sort of ecosystems now like TikTok and things like that where they're far more popular for finding information because of this, but it's not always exposed everywhere else. Um, But we find them more reliable. I feel like that might be why some of these these old school traditional public gatekeepers of online content are sort of getting phased out slowly by some of those. Very related, um, this is from Mark Nottingham on his blog, um, mnot.net. What would a Chromium-only web look like? <laughs> so this is, this is very, very related. Um, and how... You see now increasingly so Chromium, Google Chrome effectively, has become almost like Internet Explorer was many decades ago, this de facto view on the internet. And you have Safari and WebKit and you have Firefox, but really only Safari is the other contender, mostly because Apple forces you to use it on iOS. Um, And the DuckDuckGo browser was an interesting example of how you can make another browser using um, WebKit, but I've talked about that before. And yeah, it does bother me. It does bother me that many developers now say, well, you have to use Chromium-based browsers because it has the best features. That might be true, but a monopoly is never a good thing. And, you know, I would say 90% of the time that Chromium-based browser is Chrome, which then has other concerns. Since I read this post, it looks like there's been a few responses from members of the Chromium team, which is not surprising. Um, So I don't think I've read through those. So (laughs) I don't really want to comment on them because um, I didn't read them at the time when I decided to add this uh, to to the show. But um, it worries me. I've brought it up several times, I think, actually. Um, And it really does worry me that this is increasingly happening but it seems to be like Chromium is getting away with it, unlike with Internet Explorer, because it's quote-unquote open. And I reiterate this point again, yes, it is, Um, but Google Chrome is not. Uh, Well, a lot of it isn't. It piles on a lot of other things that are concerning, and one option is not a good option. Some would argue, and it is argued a little bit in the article, that this is kind of like Linux. Linux is the open operating system, and there are variants of Linux, but it's still all Linux. Yes, but 
the Linux kernel and the sort of core of Linux is not largely maintained by one company. So I don't know. <laughs> this is a discussion I would be very happy to have more of. So as always, find me on christianchiller.com for more discussions on that. <laughs> sort of related, I feel like, on the Evil Martians website, how to make absolutely any app look like a macOS app. I was initially worried about this article maybe being kind of uh, encouraging everyone to use Electron, which I don't always like. Uh, maybe it is, but... It actually talked about how sometimes when people make these cross-platform applications, because it's just a website shoved into a, a holder, they don't always feel like native applications. And they break down some very quite simple ways to actually learn from a desktop operating system to make these cross-platform applications feel more native. You know? Some actually quite quick win ways. Um, so I really liked it. It was a very pragmatic kind of post. It's like, well, if you must do this... <laughs> Here's some ways to improve the experience, basically. And finally, a few new things from me. My last hands-on uh, was with Naptive, who there was also an interview with a couple of weeks ago on the show. I am now catching up um, with a lot of these. I've got a lot to get through. I just live uh, did Veryfront, uh, which is, uh, well, watch the video when I've put it together. I'm not 100% sure what its use case is, but more of that will come to YouTube very soon. You can watch the live stream on Twitch. Um, and I will be really getting back into video streaming again over the coming weeks and catching up with a huge backlog. Um, we should have the first episode of the new season of DevX ready soon, just waiting on interviewee approval. On the solo adventure, I have been doing basically a handful of live stream uh, learning uh, with Unity and with Inky. So have a look at those. The, the last one of Unity, I really kind of started to get into a rhythm and started to make something. If you want to watch it, I will probably create a summary video of all the edited highlights at the end. Uh, but that'll be a while yet. <laughs> but you can follow along. I will hopefully do another um, live playthrough very soon, maybe even uh, on Friday of this week. I'm not sure yet. We'll see. And also some of my other content from Chronosphere is making its way to DZone at the moment. I have been, been on DZone for a little while. And the latest one of that was open source monitoring and metrics landscape. So if you are a little unaware of what I was talking about with Monitorama recently and would like a bit of an introduction, have a read of it because uh, it's a good overview. It helped me learn as well. <laughs> Okay, that was a long episode, um, a lot to catch up on, uh, a lot less to catch up on next week after all of that. Um, what else? I still have two of the kind of hands-on slash interviews from KubeCon to get through. I had some technical issues with a lot of the footage, which is meaning they're taking a little bit longer for me to, to process, um, but they will come through eventually. Uh, I am now on the third draft of my novel, so I'll actually be reaching out for some uh, public feedback on that very soon. Um, well, I feel like there's some other things, but I, I've spoken too much already, so maybe we'll just leave it there and um, cover those another time <laughs> because uh, I've already spoken about quite a lot. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for putting up with me for this episode and that long break. And uh, I have been Christian Schiller and... I'll be staying put in Berlin for summer. So if you happen to be here, let me know. Say hi. We'll grab a, grab a beer, grab a coffee, whatever you want to do. 
uh, talk games, talk nerd, talk general geekery. So until then, until next time, thank you very much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the show. Find out more about me at chrischinchilla.com where you can find show notes, sign up for my newsletter and find all of my writing, games, work and video links. There's also details on how to get in touch with me. And if you want to get even closer to what I do, join my Discord server for behind-the-scenes discussions and helping me produce my shows and work.